Hey there, history fans. Melissa here. I just want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to is one of our older episodes. So the way that we sound here is a bit different from what we sound like today. Over time, we've been able to change our format a bit. We've acquired new editing software as well as new mics. So if the sound quality here isn't to your liking, please feel free to check out any of our newer episodes from Elmer McCurdy or anything from about March 18th up to today. I promise they sound a lot better. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode. We hope you learned something new and we hope to have you back for more episodes as we continue to trek through history to explain it all. We are joined today by my furry friend, Ballerina, who's trying to eat things and stuff on my computer. So apologies if you hear me say no. It's real. I'm really talking to my cat, trying to tell her that she can't do things or eat things. <laughs> so apologies, y'all. But hey there, history fans. <laughs> and welcome to another episode of the History, <laughs> the history Podcast. <laughs> Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> We're veering off of our normal introduction segment. Today's episode is a Christmas special. So today we're doing it on a rather important person connected to Christmas. Known as... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Father Christmas? I was saying Charles Dickens. <laughs> the episode is on Charles Dickens, not Father Christmas. Ah. Well, there was that little girl that said, Charles Dickens dead? Does that mean Father Christmas will die too? I love how you're taking my quotes. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there is a rather famous quote upon Charles Dickens passing where it says, Mr. Dickens dead? Then will Father Christmas die too? And that is from a young girl after hearing about Dickens dying. But before we dive into our main topic of the day we have weird history hold on before i begin let me take a sip of my <clears throat> eggnog mm. Ew. gross so delicious brandy and eggnog mm. Ew. 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 Mm. I don't like eggnog at all. I'll take the brandy. Oh, yeah. Can I have your brandy and you just have the eggnog? No, 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 no. This is a prop for today. I have a prop to go with my weird history. Oh, God. It is I'm quite scared. a Christmas celebration. And quite a riot. Okay. <laughs> so by the time this episode airs, it will be on Christmas Eve. So this story actually is sort of a today in history because it takes place on Christmas Eve. And that would be December 24th, 1826, at America's famous military academy, West Point, in New York. To give a quick background on West Point, it's actually opened up in 1802. 
with <gasps> 10 students and only three teachers. So it was very small, ramshackled, just just a small amount of buildings, nothing major. So it really wasn't until after the War of 1812 that Congress said, we need a better military academy to teach our, our students. So we need to put more money into West Point. And it wasn't until 1817 that a certain person who would become known as the father of West Point was actually ordered to bring order to this derelict academy at the time. And he was incredibly strict, probably intimidating. I wouldn't say quite as, I wouldn't go as far as to say Spartan, but some are yeah. close to it. And do you remember when I told you my weird history was going to have a little interesting personal flair to it? Uh-huh. So the the father of West Point is uh-huh. Sylvanus Thayer. According to my grandfather, that is my great, 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 great grandfather? Several times great grandfather. Wait, what? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. You're related to the father of West Point. That's what my grandfather told me. Uh, weird. A little bit strange. (laughs) Well, I figured that was appropriate for this weird history. A little personal flair. A bit interesting. So, I said he had some very strict rules that Mm -hmm. the students had to obey. They weren't allowed to leave campus. They weren't allowed to cook in their dorm rooms. They weren't allowed to duel. And generally, they also weren't allowed to consume alcohol on campus. And in fact, several of the taverns in the area were probably not even allowed to sell alcohol to the cadets because they really weren't supposed to be drinking anyway. But some of the taverns, one of them, a very popular one in Benny Tavern, which wasn't too far away from the academy, was known to not sell alcohol to the cadets, but barter with the cadets to give the cadets money. So the cadets would barter with, I guess, the shop owner or people working in the tavern. They would barter with shoes. They would barter with pieces of their uniform, uh, blankets. But the only thing you couldn't barter with was your actual military uniform. That was a big, big no-no. Isn't that a big no-no to this day? I, I should certainly hope so. <laughs> and apparently around, so normally around Christmas, old-fashioned eggnog, as I think we like to call it, where you have eggnog and alcohol of some kind, was a traditional holiday drink at even at West Point. Mm-hmm. But I guess there were some people that year that just made it all the more difficult. And I'll get into a couple of those people. But mm-hmm. a quick history on eggnog kind of give you an idea. We think of eggnog today as you can have it as non-alcoholic, you can have it as alcoholic. But when it was originally introduced, which was a hot like a hot milk punch which was highly alcoholic because it came out in during the medieval times. It was known as posset, and it was usually contained wine or ale. And it was typically only enjoyed by the upper class because getting a hold of large quantities of fresh milk wasn't as easy to do. So, but by the time that colonial America had established itself, it was actually enjoyed very much by a lot of different people in a lot of different classes because you had a lot more dairy farms that were prevalent. And obviously, Americans like their alcohol. <laughs> Is that an understatement? <laughs> what I, I would I would say that. And in fact, it even says that it was such a widely popular drink 
with Americans that George Washington himself even had a famous recipe that included rum, sherry, brandy, and whiskey all in his eggnog. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. So you can get an idea (laughs) of how very quickly people could get drunk on a mix of eggnog and alcohol. So 1826, so prior to Christmas, Sylvanus there had actually put a moratorium on alcohol at the academy. Not yeah. even for Christmas yeah. celebrations. No, no alcoholic eggnog even for Christmas celebrations. And the you cadets, must have the virgin eggnog. <laughs> and the cadets, the cadets were not happy with that, as you can imagine, especially seeing as it was a, a, a frequent tradition at the academy and a frequent tradition just in America. So they decided, well, if we can't drink it because we can't have it on, can, on, on campus, what if we smuggle it in? Or maybe try to buy some and smuggle it in. So they went over to Benny's Tavern. And a quick side note in Benny's Tavern, it is so popular that it said that when Edgar Allan Poe was at West Point for his brief stint, he was frequently seen at Benny's Tavern. But when they, when the cadets at, in 1826 decided we'll go to Benny's Tavern and get some, some whiskey from them, it turned out it was a little too expensive to get the whole amount rather than it was just to get a pint so they said, okay, we'll go across the, the harbor. We'll go to Martin's Tavern. Mm-hmm. And they were able to procure four gallons of whiskey, which doesn't seem like a lot. But I think back then that was quite a fair bit, seeing as how potent the alcohol probably was. Yeah, but on, the, mm-hmm, on their way back, they actually ran into a sentinel who was watching the, the harbor foot. And he's like, um, what you guys doing? Oh God! And he's, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna have a party." Um, here's thirty-five cents. You didn't see a thing. Now, I did the conversion? Thirty-five cents is only a dollar, nine dollars and twenty cents in today's money. But mm. hey, nine dollars is still something, and thirty-five cents would have been a lot of money back then. Seeing as most people were probably paid up to maybe what five cents a day for things. Yeah, you know, it just wasn't a whole lot. Maybe a little That's more than five true. cents, Might, but at 35 cents would have been enough to just say, turn your back. You didn't see this. We're going to go have a rager on campus that we're not supposed to be having. Now, uh, Sylvanus there expected something like this to happen, but I don't think he'd expected it quite to this scale. You know, maybe they got a gallon of whiskey instead of four gallons of whiskey. And the North Barracks went into a massive rager. But he only oh, sent... Crud. But yeah, yeah. You've got you know, late teens into 20-somethings men in essentially a, a big dormitory with four gallons of whiskey on Christmas Eve. Military men living a very monastic lifestyle because they have to be in shape at all times because of their superintendent. Yeah. So, so knowing that they would do something, Thayer actually only sent two captains over. That would be Captain Ethan Allen Hitchcock and Lieutenant William A. Thornton to monitor the North Barracks. Now, by the time they got there, there were quite a bit of parties going on. And mm-hmm. Hitchcock actually, I think he went in first, but he actually stopped a small crowd of a party going on at one point in one area on the upper area. So he went downstairs because he heard an even rowdier party going on. When he entered the lower area, Jefferson Davis, and yes, the Jefferson Davis, and if anyone's not 
familiar with American Civil War, that would be the future president of the Confederate, was actually at West Point at this time and was known to be quite a drunkard. At one point, he found down that he was so drunk at one point, he fell down a 60-foot ravine. I mean, he just didn't know where he was. And at this point, during this, Christ- this, this eggnog riot, as it's actually called, Jefferson Davis burst into the room at the same time that Hitchcock is walking into the room and says, put away the grog, boys. Captain Hitchcock is coming. He was standing right next to him. Yeah. Wait. Wait. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. But at this point, Jefferson Davis actually went back to his dorm room, which actually saved himself from being court-martialed. And I'm not done with the others. So Thornton went to another portion of the, of the barracks to break up some more partying. And a cadet actually threatened him with a sword. And then another cadet hit him over the head with a piece of wood. Uh-huh. Oh, it, go. it gets really, it gets worse than this. And things got even worse for Hitchcock on his area because someone actually brought out a pistol while he was attempting to break down a barricaded door so he couldn't get into the revelry. And a cadet pulled out a pistol attempting to shoot Hitchcock. But thankfully, another another drunken cadet jostled the cadet with a pistol. The bullet entered the door jam, thankfully, and didn't actually hit Hitchcock because that would have been a very bad thing. But Hitchcock found a sentinel outside. and He says, bring the calm here. Now, calm is reference to the commandant of the cadets, the person in charge of all of the cadets. But it was thought by the cadets that he was actually summoning, they, they termed the bombardiers. That's actually the cadets' nickname for the artillerymen. The cadets hated the artillerymen. And so they took up arms to defend themselves against the artillery that thought that were coming. And violence broke out massively 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 to give you an idea the morning of christmas drunken and injured soldiers were stumbling out of the north barracks which were nearly in ruin there was smashed furniture smashed crockery plates dishes everything uh, there is cadets literally just hung over and hanging off of things they had at one point wrote banisters off of the stairways and just thrown them into the rubble that was left of all the broken furniture. And it wasn't until that morning that the commandant actually showed up and the the cadets were like, oh, I think we'd better sober up, boys, because we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. After everything was finally fixed, six cadets resigned. Nineteen were court-martialed. Ten were actually expelled, and that included two future Confederate generals and a future Supreme Court judge. Interesting. And many of the cadets in the North Barracks, including Jefferson Davis himself, were confined to their quarters for more than a month. So essentially, they were grounded to their room for more than a month because there was a moratorium on no alcohol in their eggnog, which I have some in mind, and quite it's tasty. Yum, yum. Yum. Eggnog is gross. <laughs> a drunken riot at a military academy, also not that good. <laughs> Stupidity at its max, but also it's kind of like think of dry county days. Like what? they smuggled alcohol in. Oh, I mean prohibition. This is essentially a yeah. minor, uh, like a twenty-four hour prohibition of sorts. <laughs> yeah, this is nothing in comparison to prohibition days. Yeah. Mm-mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> no underground speakeasies, no dumping alcohol out in the sewer streets. No, no, nothing, nothing major. Nothing, nothing major. Just a broken dormitory. And several people expelled slash resigned from slash court cadets. which is insane. Yeah. Well, when you're stupid, you're stupid. I guess I don't know what to say. To that. <laughs> no, I answer. mean life sucks. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can say but life enjoy... sucks for Charles Dickens too. Oh Lord! Shall we get into the the main episode? Of Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. I believe we have a quote to start off with the, the our segment here. We do. And I will start. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you asked me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make myself merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Screw Josh Dickens. That would be screwed out of course. Yeah. So, so that's a quote from A Christmas Carol. Of course, you know, I think it's appropriate for the times since it is Christmas. Woohoo! Merry so, Christmas. Yeah, today we'll be talking about the life of Charles Dickens as well as the cultural impact of A Christmas Carol today. Yes, because it had a huge cultural impact that we still feel to this day from his lifetime. So Charles Dickens. So Charles Dickens was actually born Charles John Huffam Dickens on February seventh, eighteen twelve, in Portsmouth, Hampshire, England, and he died on January January. I meant June, June ninth, eighteen seventy, at Gads Hill near Chatham, Kent, England. He's known for his his writings of. A Christmas Carol, uh, Our Mutual Friend, Great Expectations, What Else Was There, Keep Going, I'm Carol talking to you, Melissa. Mystery of Edwin Drood, Oliver Twist, Nicholas Nickleby. Yeah. Uh, so many. That's just 15 books in total. The, yeah. He totaled 15 books, and all of them have impacted us. Little Dorrit, too. Uh, I can't, I don't know if that's the actual name. I just remember that the no, main that's character the is known name. as Dorrit. That's that's the, it that's is the, little Dorrit. I can't yeah. remember. And the David Copperfield is essentially more or less it's an autobiography about Dickens in his own life. Yes, because Dickens had a very well peculiar and kind of sad life. Yes. Uh, Charles's father was known to spend money. So Dickens' dad spent any money they had. Now, which basically Put him in poverty. Right. Now, what, what it was is it wasn't so much that he was just a spendthrift. He and his wife both had wanting, they, they wanted to get out of the poverty that they were in. And they had some money, but they wanted more. And what it was is they just wanted to have a better life for the children. So he didn't, he wasn't just a, a spendthrift dad. He was trying to, I think, do investments or very various things in order to it, increase their financial situation. But it didn't pan out. It's kind of like gambling. Yeah. You're gambling on the fact that hopefully this investment is going to work out. Right. And majority of the time, he just picked the wrong investments. <laughs> like, the wrong investments and lost more money than he gave in. So he ended up in extremely deep debt and was in prison. And Charles was the eldest child out of all of his siblings. 
Therefore, he was the one that was taken out of school and put to work while his father was in prison. And it's this particular time in his life when his father's in prison and he's no longer in school, which, by the way, he really loved school. He was only he's no longer in school. He had to go to work for the. Yeah, but he had for he ended up in a factory. Oh, oh, what book is that from again? (laughs) David Copperfield. Only after his father came out of prison was he able to return to school. They had regained some money somehow, and he was able to go back to school. But he wasn't in for very long. He went out of school again at 15. That's true. But he was... In 1833 is when he really started to write stories and essays for, like, magazines, which the stories were more popular than the actual news. You, no, the sketches out. were more popular than the articles. Sketches, sorry. sorry. Not the stories. Yeah. yeah. The sketches he started to do for, like, called the Pickwick Papers. Right. So yep, those actually, became the highlight of the day. Right. Now, prior to the sketching, he was actually, and then a year of from that, so in 1820, you, he actually... He became a freelance writer reporting for various law courts throughout London. And then not long after that, he actually became a reporter for two major London papers before he began his sketches under Boz. A writer for two major London papers sounds pretty good to me. But they probably weren't paying very well. Oh, no. No, no. In 1836, so three years really after he started to write for the papers and such, he married Catherine. And they had... What was it? Ten kids? Yeah, Catherine, Catherine Hogarth, and they had ten children. Wow, that's a lot of kids. Yep. that's that's scary. How many kids that is? And they were married for about and, twenty uh, years, so that's not too bad. That's because yeah. it was, he actually separated from Catherine in eighteen fifty eight. But that the eighteen fifties were kind of bad for Dickens because he lost one of his daughters and he also lost his father. So it, I think it just put him in a bit of depression and things happened at home and he said i yeah i just can't do this anymore and that's little little nell's kind of about that too i think some family loss yeah going into his probably most famous work a christmas carol he wrote a christmas carol in 1843 within five six weeks six weeks six weeks yeah six weeks he came up with what we know as the most famous christmas story of the day i can't honestly off the top 1843 head, off the top of my head i can't even think of any other christmas stories books wise the grinch oh the grinch there. i can think of one one, <laughs> one book okay hey there it's one more than you <laughs> But uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas is the other one that I can, like, think of that is just as repetitively, repetitively either adapted into film, TV, or read during the, the season. Mm-hmm. Other than, obviously, the story of Jesus' birth. Not including that. But A Christmas Carol, Dickens was so invested in, excuse me, in uh, A Christmas Carol, he was... He, he was hoping that this book or story, however you want to put it, would bring him in some financial stability, to be honest. It well, really didn't, but he, he, he had hopes. What? I said he mostly wrote it because he needed money. He had a, he, it was just yeah. a way to pay off some debts, but it sold. But he also had issues because I believe he ended up putting more money into the production of it than he got out of it after the sales. 
even though it made uh it sold 6000 copies in the first week yes but he had to publish it himself right yeah his publisher I can't recall why, but his publisher wouldn't publish it. So he said, okay, I'll run it myself. Now he, because he, it's, it's a moralistic tale about family and traditional values. And he believed in it so much that he said, I'm going to sell it for cheap so that everyone can read it. But I also want to put it in a very nice cover. So Mm -hmm. he spent more money on it than I think that he got out of it, which gave him some money, but not anywhere that he was hoping for. And as I said, yeah. uh, as we'd mentioned before recording, I th- most of the money that he ended up making, I think, came from the lecture circuits, both in England and in America, mostly in America. I don't think he made a whole lot of money off of his books alone. That's true. Yeah, his, his, but- he did two lecture circuits in America. And all in all, I think in today's money, uh-huh. that would be about $1.5 million dollars. He That's made a 90, lot of money. $95,000 in Victorian money doing lecture circuits throughout America. Yeah, but, but that's, that's over the course of versus, I, versus his actual stories being bought in yeah, but format I, I, or magazine format right. or something. But I think he made that money off the course of probably 20, 30 years of off and on lecture th- circuits and things like that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm also distracted by my cat. She's running around like a nut job. Um, yes, she is. She's my cat. So of course she's crazy. But a, a Christmas Carol was also, it, it's known to have revived Christmas during the times because back then, you know, during this particular time when he wrote it, you know, he wrote it to one, bring light to what's going on in the poverty sector. And two, it, it revived the idea that it's not about monetary things. It's supposed to be about family and enjoying a meal together and spending time together and, and, and having the value of friendship. And that, that's really what he was trying to go for when he wrote A Christmas Carol. Right. So uh, By the time he wrote in 1843, there were various Protestant leaders who were discouraging celebrations, saying that the the holiday had become too materialistic, which was yeah. probably true back then. It's also 1843. You're having a massive industrialization and people who kn- couldn't previously afford nice things can now have nice things. You have sort of the nouveau riche or the high middle class. And mm-hmm. when people have all of a sudden a, a surge of influx of money, they're more likely to spend it. So things became a lot more materialistic. And as somebody who did not grow up with a lot of material possessions, Dickens was all essentially he's wanted it's a two-parter really it's all about family traditions and values and forgiveness charity good cheer and what the the core of Christmas that would set that had been celebrated in England was but also it's also a, a book that helps to like many of his other books to show how bad sort of class discrepancy was in a sense or or, or monetary discrepancy was throughout England because there were so many poor people and he was one of them. And it's essentially a book about just because someone is poor doesn't mean they can't have a good time. You bring cheer, spread cheer, bring the family together, look after your poor. Basically it's that included. So, you know, he, 
was trying to bring light to this situation in this story. And it also revived the idea of, you know, Christmas trees and celebration and having dinner with your family. Those things weren't happening at the time during Christmas. It, it wasn't happening amongst the people. And so the idea of this was also to revive that. And it's still something we do to this day. Yes. Have a Christmas dinner with your family. Yes. That, that, that tradition of good cheer with friends and family is, I, I will say that Christmas is highly commercialized and has been for a, quite a long time. Kind of. It, it, was to, it was to bring it back. Yeah. I mean, it had died No, I meant the whole commercialism of Christmas. It's still uh, yeah. highly ongoing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon either. No. But back to Mr. Dehans, people were facing those economic hardships and they couldn't buy tons of presents either for to put under the tree. This is also something that he wanted to bring light to. But they did find ways to celebrate. And it's also kind of the revival of the idea of a white Christmas. Because if if you've read the story or at least watched an adaptation, in every adaptation, it's a white Christmas. Obviously, the idea of a white Christmas doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't happen where we live. Um, It actually doesn't happen in England all that much either. Snow doesn't fall until after the new year normally. So it, it, we didn't get a lot of snow concept. until January on the East Coast where I grew up either. Yeah. I miss snow. I miss it so much. And I do not miss it at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you lived in Massachusetts. I lived in DC. DC doesn't maybe get two feet of snow a year. Massachusetts kind of get more. Um, I lived in Massachusetts and I lived in DC and I lived in Richmond. I still yeah. don't miss snow or that cold of cold. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. For me, anything above 72 is too hot. That 70, 74, 75 for me is like hitting, hitting heat waves. But back to, you know, Dickens again. <laughs> Another thing that the book reflects of pertaining to the period it was written in is, is the interest in, in the paranormal. This is a time when seances were very popular. And, well, it was the beginning of the spiritualistic movement. Yeah, and he reflects that in, in The Ghosts of Christmas Past, Present, and Future. And the Marley Brothers. Yes, that too. Although they're weird. I, I no. <laughs> Sorry, um, when you have the two old guys from the Muppets and the Muppet Christmas Carol playing... Mar- the Marley Brothers, it's fun, but you haven't seen Muppet again. Carol. I no, I didn't. I refused to watch any adaptation of A Christmas Carol since I was made to watch the 1970s adaptation. Yeah, you watched that three days in a row with your mother when you're like six. <laughs> no, oh, I couldn't horrible. watch Muppet Christmas Carol. My sister loved Muppet because m- loved Muppet's Christmas Carol when we were very young. I couldn't watch it. I would still rather. I mean, I can watch it to this day, but I just, it was so bleak and dark and depressing, even though it was Muppets and Michael Caine, it was fun, but it was still, as a seven-year-old, it was not my movie. I would rather have watched Muppet Treasure Island with Tim Curry than Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yeah. Try it when you're six, three days in a row, 1970s adaptation. Uh, (laughs) Wow. So dark. 
so dark with Albert Finney. That's who it was. I couldn't remember mm. the actor's name. It's Albert Finney who played Scrooge. Wow. So dark. So depressing. And, by the way, the ghost of Christmas Future was basically a Grim Reaper. The ghost of Christmas Future is a Grim Reaper. Yeah, but they, like, actually figured out how to put it on the screen in the 1970s. And when you're six years old, nope. The Muppet Christmas Carol ghost of Christmas Future is also a Grim Reaper. What? Is it a Grim Reaper Muppet, though? I never watched it, so I don't know. Uh, it's probably somebody, and you know, remember like the, the scream costume mask with the hood, but then just a blank black mask face kind of thing. Uh huh. It's probably a person in a costume made to look like a Grim Reaper, but with skeleton hands. Yes. Yes. So imagine like ghostly see-through skeleton hands in 1970s dark film at six years old. And he's also made to look like he's like six foot five or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's meant to be this intimidating figure, and it's six years old. And you know me. I love the idea of the Grim Reaper now. But at six years old, I did not. <laughs> no. Nope. Nobody. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I was not a fan of the adaptation. And I at least heard it after the first time I watched it, because my mom watched it for like three days in a row or something. And it was horrible. Like, I just, I refuse to watch a Christmas Carol adaptation. I, I, I can't comes, do it. When it comes to Christmas Carol, I think I'd rather read it than watch an adaptation. But you're mm-hmm. also not a fan of classics, so I don't think you'd read Christmas Carol either way. So, so yeah, the, the Dickens ended up, you know, rev- basically reviving old traditional ways of celebrating Christmas and making it more joyous again. And as we said in the beginning, this... This had such an impact that when Dickens died and a young girl who was just on the street heard about his death, she she literally said, Mr. Dickens dead? Then will Father Christmas die too? And that was I so think, interconnected. 30, well, it, it was that was 30 years after the book came out too. Yeah, that's yeah, it had been around for a while. Yeah, 18. Yeah. Oh, almost he died years. in 1870, yeah. And and the book was written in 1843, so it's 27 years, almost 30. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot of time. Yeah, and he so, would actually not just give lectures. I think part partly it was lectures about maybe writing and lectures about telling stories. But he would also, during some of the lectures, read parts from his stories. And I think the most requested book for him to read from would have been A Christmas Carol. Even that in America, sense. when it was still materialistic and capitalistic Christmas. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can get that. I can get on top of that. I mean, I think it was fascinating. And he had, even though his influence on Christmas was big, that's just a portion of his influence that we still feel today. Because he had, a, he, just in general, he had an impact pertaining to, you know, uh terms that he used that are still in use to this day he coined actually the term red tape which he used to describe those who were in power that kept those who were poor poor you know they still use today and in his adaptation the adaptations of his books including a christmas carol little dorrit nicholas nickleby all of these books are just 
they're almost as prominently adapted as Jane Austen and Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I've seen, if you just look up a Christmas Carol adaptations, just for theater and film or just for film alone, there's at least 20 films. Minimal. Minimum. Yeah. 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 At least 20 film adaptations of just a Christmas Carol. I think the only thing close to that would also probably be Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. But I think Sherlock Holmes is more made on the TV versus, like, movie theater, movie adaptations. But just film in general, yeah. Oh, I was like, you you like- didn't grow up watching the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, Sherlock Holmes. Okay. No. So many movies. Did you say who? No, you don't I know who Basil nope. Rathbone is? Okay. No, I said nope. No, I did oh. not grow up watching them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will find but, you a podcast you- with your radio bro- broadcasting. I'll send it to you. Ooh, yay, yay. They're very good. And then I can send you a playlist where you can watch all the movies. Fun. Let's do it. Let's do it. I would, I want to do it. But what were we saying? Oh, yeah, adaptations. But I mean, if you look at the past years, not only that, just look at how many re-adaptations, just just like BBC alone Mm -hmm. has done. There's uh, one every 10 years or so, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. And that's just BBC. Right. There was actually a movie, I think, Canadian movie, that was more of about, I think it's called I Am Scrooge. I'll have to look it up. Give me a second. But it's about the the background. It's more like a biography on Dickens of A Christmas Carol. So it's also biography or autobiographies and film adaptations his life as well. And even mm-hmm. in pop culture, Doctor Who, there's a, a, a the Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who or David mm-hmm. Tennant. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get... Or some people are shouting at their computers. Uh, I want to see it. No. No, Billy Piper was in it. So I want to say it was a Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who. But there was an episode where they actually meet Charles Dickens right before his death. Oh. Yeah, it was very good. I actually really liked that one. That was a good episode. But I mean, yeah. So Charles Dickens had such a huge impact. And Maybe you guys will want to go and watch A Christmas Carol or read A Christmas Carol or listen to it on audiobook. Yeah. Oh, that's Not what it's, really it's sure. called The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's a, 19, a 2007 biological film uh, that was uh, that stars Christopher, Christopher Plumber and Jonathan Price. Interesting. Yeah, it was so, made through a Canadian picture company. Oh. Yeah. I thought I could. If, if you hear some meowing, it's my cat because she's irritated with me. Um, I I was petting her and she decided that I was not allowed to pet her anymore. So four month old kitten y'all. So yeah, we hope you enjoyed today. That's all I had. You didn't have any more, did you? I just have a quote that I wanted to end off with. I believe this is actually a quote. It is a quote by Dickens in referencing to a Christmas Carol, sort of uh, like the quotes at the beginning of books sometimes, even though it's not actually part of the book in of itself. But I really like it. I think it's a good way to end the episode. And it's, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. Their faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens, December 1843. Wow. Yeah. So that's essentially, that that describes his, how he really feels about his book and the heart and the time that he put in. Well, time, six weeks. But still, but he put a lot of, a lot of his spare time in those six weeks were put into writing this book. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that's all I've got for today. That's all I had too. Mm-hmm. So 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you have a lovely Christmas. Christmas! Happy Merry holidays. Christmas to all those who celebrate. Mm-hmm. And to those who don't, we hope you have a happy holiday. Merry yes, Christmas. whatever you celebrate. And if you don't celebrate at all, have a good time off, man. Yeah. Happy, happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Yule to everyone celebrating the holidays this season. Hanukkah just ended last night. Ha ha ha. Just so you know. I, <laughs> I don't celebrate it. But thanks for I know, but I do. <laughs> it's it's the it's for the, what the season for celebrating holidays. All is getting across. Yes. So happy holidays to everyone, and we hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you in the new year. Yeah, we've got a great show. It's going to be fun. It's going to be quirky. It's going to be weird. It's all of those already. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's definitely an episode I'm, I'm very much looking forward to because this is definitely it's 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 on a specific person in history, oh, yeah. and I've been looking forward to doing research on this particular person for some time. So we hope that you come and join us next year as well, and we can't wait to start off the new year with you guys. Yep, and happy holidays. Bye. Where can they find us? Oh, yes. I forgot. I'm sorry. You can also find us. You can find us on basically anywhere you find your podcast. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Pocket Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Pocket Podcasts. Oh, my God. Pocket Casts. <laughs> uh, Spotify. And you can reach out to us. We have a Facebook page, which is uh, History Explains It All. Come come check us out. We have a Instagram, History Explains All uh, podcast. History Explains It All underscore podcast, really. And then our Gmail is historyexplainsall at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. So please reach out if you have any ideas or anything to add or anything like that. We want to know what you have to say, actually, Mm -hmm. or opinions or anything like that. Yeah, anything you want to say to us, any anything you want to mention in the reviews, any suggestions for future episodes, feel free. We accept everything. Yeah, we want to hear from you guys. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to. And it's actual buy for real this time. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. We hope to see you on the New Year's. Ha- Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And happy New Year for those that we we don't see until then. Yeah. All right. We'll catch you later. All right. Bye. Bye.